My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Bonnie Brayton. It was 1985. Bureaucrats in the federal government dealing with issues related to women, and other bureaucrats dealing with issues related to disability, realized that while there were multiple advocacy groups hard at work in their respective areas, there were no national groups in Canada focused specifically on disabled women. They consulted with various women's groups and disability groups to identify disabled women who already played leadership roles, and put up the money to bring 17 of those women together for meetings in Ottawa. Before the meetings were done, the women had decided that a one-time get-together was not enough, and they started the ball rolling to found the Disabled Women's Network of Canada, or Dawn Canada. 33 years later, and Dawn is still going strong. From the beginning, its mission has been to end discrimination against women and girls with disabilities in Canada, in light of the fact that women with disabilities face among the highest rates of poverty, the highest rates of social and economic exclusion, and the highest rates of violence in Canadian society. Moreover, upwards of one quarter of women in the country have some sort of disability. The official statistics are a bit lower than this, but in Canada such stats are derived through self-identification, and stigma and underdiagnosis mean that many women who are functionally disabled in one way or another do not identify as such. And despite these numbers, it is quite rare for governments or advocacy organizations other than Dawn to give the experiences, barriers, and issues faced by disabled women the specific consideration that they require. Though all of this points towards a large and complex spectrum of needs, much of Dawn's work over the years has focused more narrowly on the high levels of violence disabled women face. Though the group has kept working for more than three decades, they have never had core funding and subsist mostly on funding for specific projects and on donations. It was only in 2007 that the group hired its first executive director, Bonnie Brayton. Though not all staff are disabled women, all of the organizational leadership and the board of directors are. They organize their work around four pillars – education, research, policy, and advocacy. They collaborate extensively with other women's groups, other disability groups, and also with trade unions. Recent accomplishments include challenging Canada's lack of progress on disability issues by presenting to the Committee Reviewing Canada's Compliance with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, They've been providing input to the current federal government around violence against women and with respect to federal legislation related to disability that's in the works. They also recently completed the first ever comprehensive research report on the conditions of women and girls with disabilities in Canada and are hard at work turning their findings into a comprehensive long-term agenda for policy and advocacy work. And as for what they would like to see from other activists, social justice, and human rights organizations, they're happy for the extensive opportunities they have to collaborate with other groups, but they're very clear that they want the struggles of disabled women to be taken up in a central way by all kinds of different groups rather than falling largely to dawn. 
They want groups in all kinds of different locations and sectors to do the work and spend the money to ensure that disabled women are at their tables, disabled women's voices are central to their work, and disabled women are in leadership positions. I speak with Brayton about the issues facing women and girls with disabilities in Canada and about Dawn Canada's work. My name is Bonnie Brayton, and I'm the National Executive Director of the Disabled Women's Network of Canada, or as we are affectionately known in English, our acronym is DAWN Canada. Our national head office is located in Montreal, Quebec, and it's been here since 2007. I was delighted to be selected as the first National Executive Director. Dawn's been around for 33 years, but I was the first person given that title and given that responsibility. We'd had some great people over the years who were project coordinators when Dawn had funding, which was uneven, I would say, over many of those early years. So it was the kind of thing where with many grassroots organizations, not surprisingly, we had the challenge of not being able to set up a national head office because we didn't have stable enough funding to do it. But we made our minds up in 2007 and that's when I was hired. We're located inside a feminist collective and that was by choice. It's a feminist collective that mostly has provincial women's organizations here, a couple of other national women's organizations, and it's called, it's a French name, so it's called the Maison, which is French for house, Parent Robac, named after two incredible feminists from the labor movement who bought and donated the house, if you will, which is an office building, to the feminists of Quebec to make sure that they would always have a place to do their work. Tell me about the origins and the work of Dawn. The history of this is actually really quite wonderful in terms of, you know, kudos to the bureaucrats, because too often the bureaucrats are criticized and it's the people who are elected who get all the credit. But in this case, I'd like to give the credit to people who were working on it. I don't think it was called status of women, but it would have been the federal government equivalent to what is status of women Canada now and to another government office, which today would be the Office for Disability Issues. And so there were folks in both those departments who were noticing that there was really no focus on women with disabilities in the work that they were seeing done in the organizations that they were supporting in the women's sector. And similarly, that in the disability sector, there seemed to be absolutely no focus on women specifically, despite the fact that as people who worked in government, they were very aware that really the worst off women and people with disabilities were women and girls with disabilities. And so some folks put their heads together and said, well, let's put out a call through, you know, the organizations we work with and ask them to identify any women with disability leaders that they know of and let's bring them together and see what they have to say and what they suggest. And so 17 women, 17 incredible women who were already, like I said, doing work in their own communities and already supporting other women with disabilities were brought to Ottawa. And that was back in May, May 23rd, 1985. When they came together, of course, you can imagine how empowering it was for all of them with all of them having to work independently to be brought together. All really strong women. One of the founding women was a woman who's still very active advocate. I think she's retired now, but her name is Pat Danforth. She's affiliated with one of the organizations we still work with, the Disability Alliance in British Columbia. And Pat tells me that it was, I think, the first or second night they started saying, well, we need to not just come together like this. We need to stay together. And so they actually came up with the name, Dawn Canada, I think sort of overnight. And then it morphed into having a conversation over the next two years. There was a second meeting, and then I think it was finally incorporated two years later. So really the genesis of this was some people in the government recognizing that there was a problem and then seeking some women with disabilities leaders who, once they were brought together, said, we're staying together. That's how it started. 
The mission has always been to end discrimination against women and girls with disabilities in Canada, to focus really on the reality that women with disabilities still face the highest rates of poverty, the highest rates of social and economic exclusion, the highest rates of violence of any people in Canadian society. To this day, we're still working really hard to try and change that. In the time that I've been here, we've focused an awful lot of our time and energy on the issues around violence. And I would say that that's because all those other things that we're talking about are important. But if you're experiencing violence, it's really hard to focus on, you know, trying to find a job or get an education or have access to anything. So while it's been a really big frustration of mine to have to have such a narrow focus, it's been critical. And I would say that razor sharp focus has begun to bear fruit in terms of some shifts that we've begun to see, and I would not attribute them exclusively to Don, but also the agenda that the current government has around focusing on women and women's rights and women's issues has put us in an excellent position in terms of, you know, for example, I'm on the Federal Minister's Advisory Council on Ending Gender-Based Violence. The reality is if you're at the table, you begin to have the opportunity to make a difference. And of course, having access to the department, the research people, the program people, and them having access to us and the knowledge that we carry has begun to have real impacts. We've begun to see some real shifts in terms of, for example, calls for proposals that now ask organizations to demonstrate how they can address the issue of violence against women with disabilities specifically, and that it creates an opportunity for them to have more funding if they can, will, are able to do that. I think in terms of some of the other things that have begun to happen, the larger push around violence against women has left a space open. And as soon as there's an opening, we have pushed ourselves in there. Over a number of years of doing projects, including the National Accessibility and Accommodation Survey, earlier work Donna done had begun to look at access to shelters and transition houses and how to improve that access for not just physical accessibility, of course, which is one of the first things you're concerned about, but also how you reach out to and bring women with disabilities to safety. Because in many cases, of course, depending on their situation, whether it's because of financial limitations or because of physical accessibility, their way out, if you will, from a situation like that is more complex. Often the people that are committing the violence are family members or caregivers or people who are close to them on whom there is some type of dependency. So, you know, thinking about how complex and how broad it is when you're talking about women with disabilities, there's such a range in terms of Don being a cross-disability organization. And I think also new research that's beginning to make it clear that there's a lot of different kinds of women with disabilities, and many of them are invisible disabilities that are beginning to be understood. A couple of the big ones where there's high numbers of women with disabilities experiencing harm is women with disabilities in the homeless population. A high number of women in the homeless population have a brain injury. And brain injury is something that as a society, we've begun to finally understand how prevalent it is and how insidious it is. Certainly, unfortunately, much more through the lens of men and athletes and the kind of things that have brought the issue of post-traumatic stress that can be caused by physical contact. Trauma creates brain injury, trauma creates disability, and violence creates disability. So we've made some important progress around the idea that there are things that are beginning to be understood that weren't. You know, women with mild intellectual disabilities are not supported and don't wear a label. They are the kind of women who grow up not being supported and instead being shunned and told they're stupid or that they aren't doing well. You know, they're criticized instead of being supported and given accommodations so that they can be successful. What has Dawn's trajectory been like in terms of funding? I think in terms of Dawn, it's really important to talk about this, and I'm really glad you brought it up, Scott, because Dawn Canada does not have operational funding. Dawn Canada has never had operational funding. 
It's one of the reasons until 2007 they did not have a head office. And it's one of the reasons that, although I'm honored to serve as Don's executive director, that being the executive director for the last 10 years has been one of the most unique and biggest challenges I've ever faced in my life, simply because of that very fact. Juxtapose us to any other women's cohort. There are hundreds of organizations, thousands for some women. There's mainstream women's organizations. There are indigenous organizations. There are organizations for immigrant women, for racialized women. I'm not saying that they all have what they need, but inside every one of those groups are women with disabilities. And the mainstream doesn't recognize disability and the intersection. And because of that, you really have had no one except Don Canada ever focused specifically on the needs of women and girls with disabilities. So in answer to your question, we still don't have core funding. And the challenge that it has meant for me is that I have really literally had to rob from Peter to pay Paul and had to make us look bigger and fiercer and meaner than we really were simply to make sure that we had our place at the table. Like I said, the last two years, the current government is very focused and interested. But I would say the flip side of that has been that, of course, they've been very actively engaging Don Canada, but they are still not keeping our doors open. What I've had to do is to look for project after project, which, of course, puts my organization constantly under strain to try and maintain a real focus on the broad issues and the advocacy pieces when you're also being funded to deliver specific activities. And we've been strategic. You know, we've picked activities that align with our mission, of course. We've done some projects around access to health, violence prevention. Our most recent project called Legislation, Policy and Service Responses to Violence Against Women with Disabilities, funded through Status of Women Canada, was a very important, very successful project that has really allowed us, I think, to focus in on this issue of why aren't things changing for women and girls with disabilities. It's because there has been literally an abyss in terms of policy and service responses directed at women and girls with disabilities. Out of this project, we've developed a communications platform called More Than a Footnote. And it's called More Than a Footnote because under that project, the one that I just described, we were looking at the policies and service responses specifically to women with disabilities and deaf women in three provinces, Quebec, Ontario, and British Columbia. We found over and over again in policy that women with disabilities are constantly mentioned when you're talking about violence against women as the group that experiences it at the highest rates. But that's all that happens. We're mentioned as a group and then we're footnoted. Nobody carries that into, okay, so what are we going to do about it? There's been really no focus on it. There's been no action on it. You know, there's no peer support groups for women and girls with disabilities. Without peer supports, you don't end up with women advocates and you don't end up with women at the table. It can't just be Don Canada at the table. The other thing I'll share that we found in this research, because it's very important to thinking about this from a gendered perspective, is that in many of these policies, all the other women's groups are mentioned specifically, Indigenous women, racialized women, immigrant women, LGBTQI women. And then they would put something like, and people with disabilities. The ungendering of women with disabilities is absolutely clearly another area where there's a problem. When you're trying to make a difference in policy and response to a problem, you need to say and name who you're talking about. And let's be really clear, there is an entire sector called the violence against women sector. It's not the violence against people sector. It's the violence against women sector because there's much more violence against women than men. Just this year, Scott, the Department of Justice released a report based on the 2014 GSS. And GSS stands for General Social Survey. They do a subset of data collection called the Violent Victimization Survey. Violent victimization means physical assault, sexual assault, and robbery. 
the Violent Victimization Survey revealed that 48% of reported violent victimization was against a woman with a disability. Nearly half of all violent victimization. Now, there's nothing in the media or anywhere that would suggest that this is the case. The only people really focused on it is Don. Coming back to the point around the core funding issue, to imagine that you have this organization with just a handful, really, in terms of me and my team, with what is between 20 and 25% of the population, because it is not 14%. That might be what StatsCan says, but of course, there's a lot of people who do not self-identify as having a disability. And in terms of our data in Canada, it's based on self-identification. So a quarter of women in this country have the highest rates of poverty, the highest rates of violence, and they have one organization advocating for them, Don Canada, who in and of itself hasn't ever had core funding. So yeah, there's something really wrong with this picture. And how is Don structured? We have a board of directors made up of women with disabilities consistent with how we were founded. My staff and myself, like I said, the majority of us are women with disabilities. In terms of what we are, we're a network, we're not a federation, so we don't have affiliates across the country and certainly have never been funded to even conceive of trying to do that. I wouldn't take that on unless I could have the support to make sure that those affiliates and I would be supported to do our work. I think we are a hell of a network. We have very broad reach into the social justice sector. So we work with people who are, you know, other national disability organizations, other national women's organizations, plenty of grassroots organizations that are attached to that. We've had a lot of support and do a lot of work with a lot of the unions, Canadian Labour Congress, Unifor, a lot of the members of Canadian Labour Congress, QP, Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, all those organizations give us a lot of space and a lot of reach because they support the work that we do. But none of the people that I've mentioned are able to keep our doors open. So the network is, you know, like I said, really based on the reach that we have. One of the things we've done quite well is focused on communications and outreach. So we've really been able to broaden our network and our reach that way. Because we're the only organization working on disability issues, when you look in the women's sector, and then in the disability sector, they're the only ones focused on gender. It's really allowed us to develop partnerships because there's lots of great folks out there in both those sectors who want to do more and really look for ways to support Dawn and to work with Dawn with, like I said, limited capacity. How does Dawn go about doing the work of hearing from diversely situated women with disabilities across the country? Not enough women with disabilities know that Dawn exists for them. And that is because Dawn, with its limited capacity, does its reach through organizations that really aren't focused on those women in the first place, so aren't really serving those women, if you will. So I think it's important to understand that. Despite that, I get calls from women with disabilities in crisis across the country all the time. But I want to make the point that one of the things we don't do is direct service. We aren't funded to do direct service and we can't. And it's really, really frustrating because what I'm dealing with most of the time is trying to refer women in crisis who contact us. And that's what our team tries to do, refer them when possible. But we know when we're referring that we're referring to what is a very thin layer of support that exists in many cases just based on the individual goodwill of many of the organizations we know who are just like, well, we'll do what we can and we'll find a way. There is no coordinated response and that's the real problem. And I'm not going to take on doing direct service or even doing these kind of referrals without the resources to do it properly because it's not reasonable to put that responsibility on Don. 
It's a huge social responsibility that has been left for one organization to focus on. It really, it's one of those things that gets me up every day a little bit mad because it's hard to believe still for me that with what we know, with all the data we have, the inaction and the lack of leadership at the government level and really everywhere, you know, even in terms of, I don't want to be overly critical, but other human rights advocates who seem to look over and say, well, it's Don that's working on that issue. Bloody hell, it's not supposed to be done. Everybody should be concerned about women and girls with disabilities because that's your mother, that's your sister, that's your daughter, your cousin, your coworker. You know, one in five women in this country lives with a disability. What do you think that other grassroots social justice and human rights groups need to do better with respect to women with disabilities? You've got to support them, their leadership, and their place at the table. One of the reasons that isn't happening is because women with disabilities are so oppressed as to not be in a position to say, well, I want to get to, you know, the next community meeting where we're going to talk about community need. Every organization needs to make sure that they have women with disabilities within their organization. Thinking about how you build your board, how you build your strategic plan, what your hiring practices are. You turn yourself inside out to make sure that what you begin to do is include women and girls with disabilities, as women especially, right, in a meaningful way in terms of they are the experts. We are the experts on what we need. It is fundamentally also about every time you write a grant, every time you conceive of a program or a project, it's like, how well are we going to be doing an inclusion? And Don Canada doesn't want to talk just about women and girls with disabilities. We broadly want to talk about social inclusion and economic inclusion. We come from an intersectional place. You know, the worst off women in this country are Indigenous women with disabilities. That is super clear to me. And I work very closely with an Indigenous organization, the only one in this country that's focused on Indigenous people with disabilities. I can tell you, Scott, at least one quarter of the missing and murdered Indigenous women were women with a disability. Based on everything I know about brain injury, about all kinds of hidden and invisible disabilities that get ignored and instead we do victim blaming, right? The victim gets blamed all the time when in fact what we're talking about is people who need to be supported, who need to have their disability needs supported, and they aren't. What's coming up for Dawn? both in terms of concrete shorter-term plans and also big longer-term visions for the future. Canada is signatory to a number of UN covenants, including the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities being, I think, one of the most important mechanisms that I can think of to talk about. So Don Canada did work with other civil society groups, and we did what's called a shadow report leading up to what happened last year, which is that Canada appeared for the first time before the committee at the UN on the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities under review for its first time since it signed that convention. And one of the unique things that Canada did, and I do want to give the government credit for this because it's really quite a rare thing, is that Minister Qualtra, who was the minister at the time, actually funded civil society participation in that process. So allowed civil society organizations to go to Geneva and meet with the committee and supported that. And that, of course, had an impact on what the committee came back to Canada with because they actually spoke to civil society organizations like Dawn. And I'm delighted to say that 23 times in their recommendations, women and girls were mentioned. Out of that, Scott, the Government of Canada, specifically the Office for Disability Issues, agreed to fund some research over this past year 
through a competitive process, Don received funding to do, for the first time in history, a research report on the situation of women and girls with disabilities in Canada. And I mean, they didn't give us a million dollars, not even close, but they gave us enough money that we were able to actually produce a very fulsome report that I think does a very good job of making it clear what the situation of women and girls with disabilities in Canada is. As a next step to that, we're hoping to work with one of the larger policy houses in Canada. And if any of them listen to your show, they can get in touch with me right away. With respect to before we release the report, I think what we really want to do, and I'll say again, our approach is a four-pillar approach, research, education, policy, and advocacy. So taking what this research shows us and beginning to put it into a policy frame, I think is the next step we want to make. So what we want to do with this research report is begin to set up what I think really needs to happen, right? Which is that we need to take a long view in terms of the situation of women and girls with disabilities for there to be real change. And that has to be taken up at a level that it shouldn't matter which government is in power. I don't know enough about governments to know what mechanisms need to be put in place to make sure that who's ever in power, that women and girls with disabilities get a promise from the federal government for the next 10 years, we're going to do everything we can to start addressing these issues. They won't fix everything in 10 years, but damn it, Scott, if we don't take that long view, it is not a project-to-project kind of problem, right? It's a big problem that requires big resources. I'm hoping that this research report that we present will allow the federal government, not just the Office for Disability Issues, but the entire federal government and the national community to take this information and begin to use it to develop policies and responses that have meaningful results. We really, really need to understand that one of the other places we have to go with this is to children, to girls with disabilities. One of the things Don Canada is currently doing is a project with the Canadian Women's Foundation called Girls Without Barriers. And it's a very early days kind of project, but it's to begin to understand girls with disabilities. This is the 9 to 13-year-old age group. When we're talking about next steps, Don Canada really wants to see a meaningful engagement around what this research report shows and indicates, and then the resources need to be put to it to start to make change. To say that in 2018, we have the first really in-depth report on the situation of women and girls with disabilities in Canada is distressing, to say the least. But at the same time as it's distressing, it is what it is, and it's finally happened, and that's a beginning. But I really think people need to understand that that's all it is, is the beginning. For 33 years, like I said, Don has been working on this issue, and this is the first chance we've had to really, really get people at a senior decision-making level to look at what they have ignored, essentially, for as long as we've existed. When I come back to why Don has that four-pillar approach of research, education, policy, and advocacy, it's because we understand that that's really the only way we're going to move this. It's, it's a very incremental kind of thing. It will not change overnight. But one of the key things is really educating people and getting people to take this up, not as something that would be nice to do or make them feel good, but because everybody has the same right in this country. You don't have more rights than a person with a disability. You just have more privilege. It is time for the people who have privilege to take a step back and understand it is not because you are better. It is simply because of, you know, where you were born or who you were born to in many cases that you have a privilege that another person or the color of your skin, you know, all of those things. We want as Canadians a just society and a just society can only happen when we take an inclusive and intersectional approach to how we continue to develop that society. We have so many things still to correct with respect to Indigenous people. You know, we are supposed to be in a time of truth and reconciliation, and those are not words. That is supposed to mean action, and it is the same for women and girls with disabilities, whatever other intersections they live. It is about taking action now. It is about every person committing to doing something, whether it's something at an individual level with somebody you know, or whether it's within the organization where you work or where you go. 
You have been listening to my interview with Bonnie Brayton, the Executive Director of the Disabled Women's Network, or DAWN, Canada. To learn more about their work, go to dawncanada.net. That's dawncanada.net. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.